Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hilton Head, even though it has its own, people have thought process about Hilton Head, but there's so much history. It's a place where black people owned property for a very long time, as early as the but reconstruction going to the teens, 30s, and 40s. Mitchellville is a highlight of the concept of freedom in America. It is a linchpin site because these folks were calling their own shots. They were charting their own course. And even after the hurricane and even after the army leaves and the population starts to contract, those folks left with knowledge on how to live. Hi, I'm Kelly Edwards, and this is Let's Go Together, a podcast from Travel and Leisure about the ways travel connects us and what happens when you don't let anything stop you from seeing the world. On this episode, we're headed to Hilton Head Island in South Carolina to talk with the Maude Ward, who leads the efforts to preserve a very important piece of African-American history. My name is Ahmad Ward, and I am the Executive Director for Historic Mitchellville Freedom Park. Mitchellville is the first self-governed town of formerly enslaved people in the United States, established in 1862 on Hilton Head Island at a time where there should have been no freed Black communities. You had one at this location during the Civil War, during slavery, in the state that started the Civil War. So that in itself was a little crazy. Ahmad has been a lifelong civil rights advocate and educator with extensive experience in creating programs and partnerships to tell the story of civil and human rights in America, a passion he brings to his current work at Mitchellville. I asked Ahmad to tell me more about Mitchellville Freedom Park and why he thinks it's important. Well, Mitchellville started again, as I mentioned, 1862 after a major battle in South Carolina called the Battle of Port Royal, which basically freed Hilton Head and made Hilton Head Island the stronghold or the Department of the South. And so what happens almost immediately, you have 30 to 40,000 Union troops that end up on the island. And of course, all of the plantations that were there are no longer functional because everybody leaves. And so the contraband, as it would have been called at that time, the enslaved population, would have been freed, but with no template on how to move. There's no background on what to do. Nobody's telling you, hey, you're free now. This is how you operate. And so they hover where the army is. And eventually there is a reassigning of leadership and Ornsby Mitchell comes in, sees the situation. He's an abolitionist along with being a general. And he determines that, hey, the best way to do what we say we're here fighting this war to do is to give these folks an opportunity to live and grow and build for themselves self-sufficiently. And so he gives them basically about six to 700 acres of property from the old Drayton plantation and says, this is your land, this is your soil, this is your property, you build on it, you grow on it, raise your families, start schools, start businesses, have churches, 
This is a chance for you to be citizens of something. And so that's why our tagline is where freedom began, because for us, this was the first opportunity that Africans in America could be citizens of something, especially a community that they built themselves. So Mitchell gives them access to the Union Iron Sawmill, gives them access to resources. The Army Corps of Engineers lays out a grid for the town. Each family got a quarter acre of a lot to do whatever they wanted to do with it. They built their own law system. There were four churches. There were four stores. You had businesses that start here. At its height, you had 3,000 people in Mitchellville uh, between 1862 and 1868 before the Army leaves. And all this is happening when the Civil War is happening, when enslavement is happening. So you have this, quote unquote, free community here before the Emancipation Proclamation. And everybody around them is still in chains and in bondage. That is so fascinating to me. Because what you have described is after the Emancipation Proclamation of the freedom and the towns developing, but to hear that there was a town that had developed prior to that even coming into law is mind blowing to me because this is something that I've never heard of. And I like to think that I've dug into my history. We know that we're not taught these things in school. So the fact that you just shared that, it just makes me already want to go and do a deep dive into what significance that this place has played within our history, especially as a Black woman. Wow. Don't feel bad because I didn't know that Mitchellville existed until 2017 Mm -hmm. when this opportunity came to my attention. And I was low-key kind of disturbed by that because I had spent the previous 18 years at the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute in Birmingham, Alabama. And we're dealing with civil and human rights. You know, I was running the education department. So you had to make these linkages and connections. Civil rights movement, Jim Crow. Jim Crow, Reconstruction. Reconstruction, Civil War. I never saw anything regarding Mitchellville. And it was a place that people actually knew about. William Lloyd Garrison, the foremost abolitionist of the time, visited Mitchellville. He spoke at the first African Baptist church, which was the first church in Mitchellville. Clara Barton was familiar with Mitchellville, who started the American Red Cross. In fact, Mm. she was there in the 1860s when Mitchellville was there. And then when a major hurricane comes in in 1893 and basically wipes out the community and most of the Sea Islands, Barton comes back and raises money to help repair and rebuild Hilton Head. Harriet Tubman at the Battle of the Cumbie River, where they freed 756 people and she helped to lead this this raid, she led a hundred of those folks back to Hilton Head to settle in Mitchellville. Mm. So you've got all this connectivity and nobody knows about it. (laughs) So we're trying to fix that. Can you share with us your story on how you came to become the executive director of Mitchellville? Absolutely. So as I mentioned, I used to be at the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute. This opportunity actually came to a former co-worker who had just retired. And she was like, listen, there's this opportunity here. You want to take a look at it? I'm done. And so I read it and was like, oh man, this sounds really, really amazing. And then when I did more research, I'm like, how in the world do I not know about this community? I grew up in North Carolina. 
So I mean, South Carolina is right there. This, this place is six hours away from where I grew up. And I had no clue that it existed. Had never heard about it in history. None of that. And so when I reached out to the folks, it, funny enough, I had met one of the people on the search committee the year previous at a Smithsonian Affiliates Conference. And just so happened we had this previous relationship. And so I reached out to him. We set up a time to talk. It's funny because I was supposed to be on vacation so in New Orleans. So I'm sitting in the middle of the French Quarter, basically having a job interview <laughs> when I called to find out what was going on. And so I came up sight unseen. I had been to Myrtle Beach. I had been to Charleston. I had never been to Hilton Head because, you know, we think Hilton Head. I'm thinking, OK, this is rich, retired people, golf beach right you know yes i'm like i hadn't lost anything in hilton head so i wasn't headed this way had no idea of this rich history had no idea that in 1900 there's 3,000 people on hilton head and they all look like me Mm. i did not know about the history that was all this history that was there until i started doing the digging and then i started to get really entrenched into the history of it and so i'm officially the first ed that they've had. The board had been around since 2010. They got their 501c3 like the next year, but there's always been a movement afoot locally to try to preserve this history. Now, I mentioned there was about 600 acres or so of Mitchellville historically. There's only 33 left. Wow, where did, what happened? Development. Mm. Development. Which Hilton Head is notoriously known for. <laughs> right. Right. So there's houses, there's living development right across the street with tennis courts and all this stuff. The airport is right down the road. The runway is smack dab on top of a lot of historic Mitchellville property. So Mm. if it wasn't for the town of Hidden Head securing this property, along with Beaufort County, securing this property 20 so years ago and preserving it, we wouldn't have what we have now. And it's a problem throughout the South, but especially here in the mm-hmm. Sea Island area. And so you think about, for those who aren't familiar with the Low Country or the um, Coastal Empire, there is about 500 years of history between Charleston and Savannah. Yes. But that's only like a two hours and change drive. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stuff in between there on the coastline. And people just don't really know that it exists. And so one of my unwritten goals, besides turning these 33 acres into a cultural attraction that people can visit and learn and understand mm-hmm. why Mitchville is still important in the 21st century. We want to make some linkages with all these other sites, some who are already developed, some who are about to be developed, and pull people in to understand all of this rich history here. And specifically, when we talk about African-American travelers or people who are trying to trace their history or do things around cultural heritage, depending on what scholar you listen to, 25 to 40% of all African-Americans can trace their lineage back to South Carolina. Wow. Because of Charleston being the major port. And so my folks are from North Carolina. I'm pretty sure that Charleston is our connection point. So with that history there, we just have so much potential to not only bring people, of course, you bring people in for tourism. That's one thing. But also to teach folks, to get people to understand another aspect of the rich American fabric and figure out where people come from, what their linkages are, what their connections are. That's part of what we want to do at the site. 
I love that because here's one thing about the African American community. Our history in this nation is entrenched in the narrative of the enslaved portion of us, right? But there's so much more to us. It's the culture, it's the foods, it's the song, it's the traditions that were brought over from the continent of Africa in itself. And I don't want our narrative to just be that. I want to dive deeper into the other aspects of our culture that are just as important and valuable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you tell us about the projects you're currently working on? Absolutely. So what I've been doing over the last four years is uh, when we talk in grassroots, it's definitely it's a, gra- a grassroots situation. But we have some great people who helped us along the way here. And so my first responsibility was to develop a master plan slash business plan for this property. We do have that completed at this point with some generosity from Beaufort County Council. We were able to secure $250,000 to work on this plan. This is the blueprint for what the site is going to look like. And so we have all of our design work. We have the background, the business case to make this work. And so now we're looking at feasibility studies and what we need to do to raise approximately $22.8 million to make this thing happen. The good thing about a number like that, which usually make people choke, um, but the good thing is we have a national strategy to raise this money because we are firmly committed that this is a national story. And based on the feedback that we have gotten, people agree with us. Yes. And so we think this is a destination point, not just for Hilton Island, not just for South Carolina, but the entire region. And we think we can attract people from all across the world who come to this area. The funny thing about Hilton Head that folks don't realize, there's only maybe 30 to 40,000 people who live here on a regular basis. But the island sees 2.6 million visitors every year. You need to collect a dollar from each person who steps foot in there that are visitors and you'll be a tenth of the way in your goal. <laughs> I know. I'll be there. I would be there if only I could get away with doing that. I have mentioned some things to town council. <laughs> oh, that's all we can do is throw them out there. Hey, if, if you don't try, you already know what the answer is. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people who come here, but they just don't understand this part of the history. And so we believe that will draw people who don't normally come to this area to come to this area because they're trying to understand the history that's connected with it. So Mitchellville is a, the story in itself, I have a passion for it. Other people have a passion for it, but it just makes sense, especially what we've seen, I want to say in the last two years, but really the last 10, but specifically the last two with this social racial awakening that the country is going through right now or reckoning. There are sites like this everywhere. There are stories like this everywhere. And we just haven't had them at our disposal. We don't know about them. And so I want to change that, not just for Mitchell, but for the rest of this history. This tapestry is so rich. And I just believe when you know better, you do better. So there's, there's also, I got a lot of unwritten goals, as I've been mentioning. There's also this unwritten goal to reach young people who may not see opportunity on a regular basis, who may not have an understanding of hope, you know, they can hear this story. These people went from being property to owning property. Yes. And you just cannot place a value 
on what that does for somebody's psyche. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hopeful that these folks can see that and say, these folks had less than nothing. If they can be productive and create something that we're still talking about 159 years later, then so can I. We're taking a quick break. When we return, we learn more about Ahmad's thoughts on historical tourism, as well as his top places to visit after Mitchellville. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome back to Let's Go Together a podcast by Travel and Leisure. My guest today is Ahmad Ward, Executive Director of Historic Mitchellville Freedom Park. Before the break, we learned all about the origins of Mitchellville and Ahmad's work there. But I wanted to learn more about what he hopes people take away from historic places like Mitchellville. What is your favorite thing to share to people visiting Hilton Head and Mitchellville? that these folks really did it themselves. Like I mentioned Ormsby Mitchell, he laid the groundwork and did all these great things for the community, but he contracts yellow fever and dies like 45 days into the experiment. Wow. So he doesn't even get a chance to really see the fruit of the labor, but the people picked it up. And Abraham Murchison, who came over from Savannah to run First African Baptist Church, what I mentioned earlier, he becomes the mayor and they have a council. And there is the site of the first mandatory school system in the state of South Carolina. This school system starts in 1866, but even before then, they were training kids at the church because they understood that real freedom comes with education. And so I like to share that these folks just didn't give up, <laughs> you know, the willpower to make this happen and to have something that trains them like this. There is something called the Port Royal Experiment, which was happening in Beaufort County to get freed black people and folks who may be coming out of bondage into the interweavings of what America does, like training them to operate as a free person, what to do. That's one of the things that Harriet Tubman was doing when she was in this area was to train women on how to be self-sufficient, how to get work, how to, to make this transition from enslavement to freedom. And so all this is happening, but Mitchellville is like the actual experiment. This is the actual tangible proof of the Port Royal experiment that it was working. These folks were self-sufficient. They had their own situation. The coolest thing about this, and this is mind-blowing to me, when I'm doing the research, 
I find out that the soldiers who came into Mitchellville, because it was literally next door to the army encampment, quote unquote, the town. So there was a boardwalk that went in and out of town that people traveled to barter and to trade and to sell things. So we're talking less than a quarter of a mile. Okay. But to get into Mitchellville as a union soldier, you had to have a pass. And these black people could tell a white person of authority, you can't enter into this community unless you had the appropriate paperwork. Now, you know, of course there were, it wasn't all peaches and cream between the union army. No. And we got to remember everyone who fought for the North were not abolitionists. Right. But for the most part, they were able to maintain themselves and sustain themselves and protect themselves. And so when the army had to reassign troops to Charleston for the effort in like 63 or so, the colored troops built Fort Howell, which is an earthen fort, which is still basically there. It has lost some some structure, but it's still there. And it's right down the street from Mitchellville now. And the town has protected that and they've got signage there. And so the story of this important community has all these facets. And we have like a blank canvas on the site. We have some facades. We've got some interpretive panels. But basically, we've got trees and land. <laughs> and so we are going to recreate the town in certain aspects. Due to archaeology over the last three to four years, we know where these houses were. Each house was only maybe 12 by 15 feet because you did all your work outside. You only went inside to sleep or to escape the elements. We are 85% sure we know where one of the churches were wow. based on archaeology. And so we're going to recreate. We were going to recreate a church there, but then we found a 4,000-year-old native imprint there. So there's an indigenous imprint there that goes back to archaic times. And so we're going to talk about both of these cultures and the interplay between Africans in America and indigenous people. We're going to have a garden so we'll be able to show what folks were growing while they were there. And we're going to have an interpretive center that's going to talk about from the Battle of Port Royal all the way into now. Why is Mitchellville important now? What does it mean to be a citizen, not just locally, not just nationally, but globally? What are your responsibilities as a citizen? Because citizenship is something that's going to be very important to our interpretation of the site. And so we feel really good about what we have to offer there on the property. Because I've been a nonprofit for 20 years or so, we know we have to do some things in phases if necessary. So we have it built in. So while we're raising these funds, we can go ahead and start some of these elements that'll help us get to our final goal. You have me wanting to support and want to visit. <laughs> well, you can do both for those. <laughs> I, I, re I really, really, really am fascinated by listening to you. You touched on this a, a lot already, but I just want to know, what do you think makes historic sites like Mitchellville important? And what are some of the challenges to preserving historic sites like Mitchellville? I think what makes a site like Mitchellville so important is the uniqueness of it. I mean, this is a kind of a one of a kind thing. There are other black towns. There are some towns that may have been structured before Mitchellville, but they were structured by free blacks already, or they were on property that was not American soil, like Fort Mose and St. Augustine. Florida was a Spanish territory in the 1700s. This is basically rubber stamped by the U.S. government. You know what I'm saying? Like 
this is a town, it's, it's unincorporated, but you got all of these, all the structure in place. And so it's unique. And then its placement, its location is unique. It's two hours away from Fort Sumter, which started the whole war. Mm-hmm. It holds a special place and location. And I think that's what makes Mitchville unique. But other spots like this have stories that are like that. It's not just, oh, these people got together and built the town. No, it has all of these elements. Like these folks had their own property. They were making their own laws. They could vote. At this point, no one could vote unless they were a wealthy white male landowner. That's a big deal in the 1860s and 70s. And then you have entrepreneurship that comes out of this. A gentleman named March Gardner who worked for one of the soldiers who lived in Mitchellville. After 1865, he had bought a, saved his money, he had bought a cotton gin, he had a cotton house, a grist mill, and a store. He bought 200 acres of property in this area. He was illiterate, but he was already building generational wealth. And if it wasn't for all the things we know that happened in the 20th century, that might have stayed where it was. Mm -hmm. And so that makes it unique. And I think stories like this, as far as your second question, one of the problems is you've had suppression on certain things. There has to be a reason why you don't hear about Mitchellville, right? And I got my own theories. I don't have a whole lot to back them up, but it's just theory. You know, (laughs) I can share at least one of them. When Reconstruction is allowed to end, and I'll put it that way. I won't say sabotage, even though I just said it. Even (laughs) though (laughs) Reconstruction is allowed to end, right? When it's allowed to end, everything goes back to what it would have been pre-the-war. Like you have Andrew Johnson, after Lincoln is assassinated, give land back to slaveholders all across the South. The only reason that Mitchellville doesn't go that route is because the Draytons didn't want the land back. They didn't have a workforce and they didn't like to deal with mosquitoes. So mm-hmm. they weren't going to come there here and do it. But you had this land retrenchment. And then by the turn of the century, you've got this need to get back to that control because you cannot be enslaved anymore. But the South is trying to repair its image. The South is trying to repair the situation. And so these Confederate monuments that we've been talking about for six or seven years, the majority of them don't pop up until the teens and the 20s. And so while you're showing generals who lost battles and triumphant poses on horses with swords raised in in the air, it's highly inconvenient yes. to have this story about these self-sufficient black people who were creating and building and living and being smart and having businesses. Have that be a story that you hear when you're trying to press how inferior they are so that you can create the black codes and then Jim Crow laws. So that doesn't go together. That's one of the situations I think that happens with Mitchville, but also... Gullah culture in itself was suppressed for various reasons. But, you know, part of that is the assimilation that was happening post-war or or the attempted assimilation. Why do you talk like that? Why do you cook that way? Why do you dress that way? And so there's a suppression of the culture that happens most of the early 20th century. 
some of the thoughts that you just shared bring me to the question of what do you think about historical tourism? Well, I think it's important. I'm going to be a proponent because I've been a proponent forever. But I remember being in Birmingham all these years and seeing the change that happened when people came through our facility when I was there. So at that time, when I was at the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute, it is located across the street from the park where the kids were sprayed with hoses and bitten by dogs in 1963. And right to the side of the facility is 16th Street Baptist Church that was bombed in 1963 where four girls lost their lives. And so people came to our block to learn. Mm -hmm. And if you just walk through the hallways of those galleries and you can see the impact that those stories were having on people, then I'm like, okay, yeah, this is an important thing. And so I saw this really humongous, noticeable shift with probably the 40th anniversary of the March on Washington and the bombing and all these, you know, so oh three, like it just went into hyperdrive because we were getting into the milestone anniversaries, like the 40th, the 50th, now the 60th is coming up. And so people really dug into learning more about their culture, about their heritage, and about their history. And so I'll tell you this, and this is, you know, people will listen to me talk about Mitchville like we've been talking over here for the last half hour or so. And people will get into it just from the history and the culture and the stories. But, you know, you can also deal with people who want to just know economic impact, right? The last numbers we have for this because of COVID is from 2018. And that is, we're talking about cultural heritage tourism. Americans spent $192 billion in the cultural heritage sector Mm. in 2018. There are untapped resources here. Once you get past the intrinsic value of Mitchellville and you just want to say, well, why should you do this? That's why. Absolutely. (laughs) Because people are hungry for it. They want to learn more. And it's not just black travelers, people who are just just want to know more about the history of America. Mm-hmm. They want to understand more about what's going on. There were some people who have smaller organizations that were a little scared when the National Museum of African-American History and Culture opened saying, OK, that's going to draw all the attention. But honestly, I think what I've seen is people go and that place is incredible and then come out saying, I want to have something like this near me. Exactly. Like I want to learn more. And so that's what I've seen. And I think that has been beneficial from some smaller organizations because people go back home and say, I wonder, can I get more of this story that I saw in Washington? What's around me? There's so many pathways. There's so much potential. And I've been at museum. I'm a non-traditional educator, right? So museum education, right? But the possibility of touching the young and the young at heart with this and making some paradigm shifts with thinking or understanding that is attractive to me and the organization and we want to be a part of it. We've learned a lot about Mitchellville and I was curious for people who are interested in traveling and learning about history that isn't taught in school, where would you send them after visiting Mitchellville? Oh, well, in a short period of time, the International African-American Museum is going to open in Charleston. And that one is specifically talking about the diaspora, how people came in, where people went, 
I think that'll help folks really understand what's happening with the history. If you're in the low country area, and of course we want you to come to us, and also the Gullah Museum on the island, which is the only house that remains on the island that is remotely close to how Mitchell Air Homes would have looked. It was built in 1930 by a descendant of Mitchellville. That's here. The Owens Thomas House and Slave Quarters in Savannah actually has an active interpretation of the enslaved population on the site, and that's in downtown Savannah. If you're moving around the South, of course, the Center for Civil and Human Rights in Atlanta, the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute, my old stomping grounds, the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati, Ohio, of course, the National Museum in Washington. But there's a plantation in Louisiana. I think it's in Wallace. It's about 50 miles outside of New Orleans called the Whitney Plantation. I've been there twice. And I always tell people to go there. The entire interpretation of the plantation is about the enslaved population. Hmm. The whole plantation. There's an older white lawyer who put the money into making the Whitney Plantation happen. And that site was like a game changer for me. Hmm. They don't talk about ball gowns. They don't talk about <laughs> plantation living. You don't hear about mint juleps or anything like that. Yes. Good. It is a raw and uncut look into what life was really like. And I think that everyone should see it. Not just black people. Everyone should see that. Mm-hmm. My last question to you is, you know, I've been really fascinated. I feel so privileged to have you share this information with me. Give us one last pitch on why people should visit Mitchellville and Hilton Head. Hilton Head, even though it it has its own, people have a thought process about Hilton Head, but there's so much history. It's a place where Black people own property for a very long time. Now it's starting to disappear for various reasons, including the heirs' property and tax situations. But there's ownership there. You had Black people in power in Beaufort County, especially in Beaufort, from Reconstruction going to the teens, 30s, and 40s. Mitchellville is a highlight of the concept of freedom in America. It is a linchpin site because these folks were calling their own shots. They were charting their own course. And even after the hurricane and even after the army leaves and the the population starts to contract, those folks left with knowledge on how to live. And they took that with them wherever they end up relocating. Some to the north side of the island because it was closer to the mainland and away from storms, and of course the soil was better. Some off to the mainland so they can reconnect people that were separated from them, but also take what they learned, take this business acumen for running their own situations, and they did it in other places. And so it was a training ground for citizenship. And that is one of the main reasons I think people should visit. And we're gonna interpret this site on the four themes of freedom, democracy, citizenship, and opportunity. These are all American ideals. They don't get old. They may be threatened, but they are still 
there and it's something that anybody, despite their background, can connect to. Especially opportunity. Once these people got an opportunity, they flourished. And so opportunities are something that we still want to press for. And even in a contemporary sense, we want to shine a light on how we can present opportunities to people who may not see them. And so if you want to see where freedom began, we encourage you to come and support Historic Mitchellville Freedom Park. We're working on a, a new website. We'll have a lot of our plans from the master plan there so you can see what it's going to look like. And people can go to exploremitchellville.org for more information. It is important to remember that Mitchell has one L. Okay, so that's Mitchellville with one L in Mitchell. Exploremitchellville.org for more information. Or if you feel moved to donate, because I am a shameless nonprofit executive, uh, <laughs> please feel free to do so. I'm over here just smiling. I am not mad at that plug. It is welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ahmad. This has been an incredible conversation. Thank you for enlightening and educating me and i know that our listeners will feel the same so thank you we appreciate the opportunity thank you so much for having us. this has been let's go together a podcast by travel and leisure i'm kelly edwards my guest this episode was ahmaud ward executive director of historic mitchellville freedom park in hilton head south carolina learn more about mitchellville at exploremitchellville.org be sure to follow Let's Go Together on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and review. Join us next time on Let's Go Together for an enlightening conversation with social media influencer, journalist, and educator on Native issues, Corinne Rice Graycloud. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Danielle Roth, Lena Beck-Sillison, and Marvin Yu. This show was recorded in Los Angeles, edited in New York City, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks also to the team at Travel and Leisure, Deanne Kurzerski, Nina Ruggiero, and Tanner Saunders. You can find out more at travelandleisure.com slash podcast. You can find Travel and Leisure on Instagram at Travel and Leisure, on Twitter at Travel Leisure, on TikTok at Travel and Leisure Mag, and you can find me at Kelly Set Go. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next week for more from Let's Go Together.